The doctor will see you now. But do they really? Do they see you as a mother who's a daughter and a caregiver? Fearless, but sometimes fearful? A health nut with a French fry habit? An O-positive geologist named Patty, who's here today for a melanoma exam. At Kaiser Permanente, we believe the only way to care for all of you is by seeing all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org. Drew and Jonathan Scott here to tell you that American Family Insurance wants to protect your dreams. So whether you're at home singing in the shower, every note, or prefer singing your heart out in the car like Drew, cruising, you can save up to 23% when you bundle your home and auto insurance with American Family Insurance. Get a quote or find an agent at amfam.com. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. We've all gone through hard times. Hard times, they don't miss certain people or, or it's just for certain people. Hard times happen to every single person, every single person on the planet. But it's how we live through those hard times, how we grow through those hard times. And when we live every day and we grow and we let those feelings just be part of our feelings. One day you're gonna live and you're gonna feel alive again after difficult circumstances. Today's guest, Andrea Powell's Gullick, has lived a long time after very difficult circumstances. And she's come out on the other side. And she's trying to help others who have gone through difficult circumstances. Her story is powerful, it's inspirational, It'll make you think. I hope that today you enjoy the conversation that I had with Andrea Powell Skullick. Andrea. Now is it Hello. Andrea or Andrea? Uh, Andrea, I got it first the right time. Got it right the first time. I'm right, got it. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. How are you today? I'm fabulous, thank you. Yeah, you look nice. great, by the way. You're looking awesome. Oh, thank you. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning, so nice and fresh. <laughs> you come on here, you get compliments the first time you show up. <laughs> I, I know. I'll, I'll slip you fifty for that later. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being on, and uh, I think we had a conversation a while back, just kind of before this, and uh, I thought it was very pleasant. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, it was great. It was just before Christmas. So it was yeah, before Christmas, yeah. wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. How so was your uh, Christmas time? How was everything? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. It was quite different. Um, it was the first year that we weren't around our family because we've relocated 19 hours away from all of our all of our family and friends. So it was um, it was pretty cruisy and quiet. So, but yeah, good. sort of focus on um, just focus on the gratitude for just our little little quaint family. So it was good. Nice. It was really good. And you, you? Uh, and me, it was great. I had a, we were in Iceland for a little bit of time to uh, just enjoy kind of the darkness and um, the feeling, the mysterious nature of that country, which we're huge fans of that country. And spent some time with family members uh, and the East Coast of the United States and just enjoyed just the holiday season, you know? True white Christmas. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was cold in Iceland. It was like 18 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. It was freezing. It was... I have no idea what that would be in Celsius. So I don't know. Really cold. I'm American <laughs> and I don't convert any, anything. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just know it sounds pretty cold. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cold. You know, like you see Americans, like we don't convert. We don't do anything. We don't do a metric system. We don't convert temperature. We're like, no, yeah. it's, it's 18 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> if you want to know your stuff then you convert it you know what you google it and you figure it out then okay <laughs> but i ain't converting to your system all right <laughs> it's terrible. I, think, terrible I think really cold is kind of you know kind of worldwide though everybody understands really cold I understand really cold <laughs> so you're in australia correct that's right yeah i mean a giveaway look sound like the sound of your voice i mean right <laughs> sound like a skippy <laughs> A sk skippy what's that mean what is it? oh so um that slang for you know country kind of like skippy the bush kangaroo like it's kind of oh. like country yeah so okay it, it, we, we get called skips like from other nationalities you know so i see yeah. and then you say like numbers like nine 19 like i don't know it's, it, it's like it's it hangs the nine or something i don't know it kind of hangs when you, you say, say 19 19 <laughs> 19 <laughs> At least when I'm not New Zealander and say six as sex. No, sex. really? They say sex. Wait, six is sex? Yeah, pretty much. Their, their accent, accent really twangs the sex. They got that kind of drawl with it, so sex. Wow. You know, I've been, I've been listening to, I've been watching a Netflix series called Dairy Girls. And <laughs> it's about these uh, high school girls and they give them all these blunders, but they're Irish. And I could barely understand them. Yeah, honestly, they're speaking English too. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I there's definitely and and the pace of which people speak too. It's kind yeah. of like yeah. And then you chuck in all the slang. Like Aussies are Aussies are great for getting things out the quickest way possible and just cutting down, <laughs> shortening it. And sounds lazy. Like all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. And where we are, because we're now coastal, so where we live in Australia, it's up in Queensland, so the northern parts. So it's warm all mm -hmm. the time, most of the time. Uh, but it's like we we live by the beach, and it's it's a really different it's a really yeah. different time thing. Things just get done when they get done, sort of thing. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Sounds like Margaritaville to me. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. We live three blocks from the local bar, so we just ride our bikes down there on a Friday, wow. aren't we? <laughs> sounds like my type of place. Wow. Yeah. Did uh, you know you were coming on this? See, I pulled one over on you. You thought you were coming on here to talk about some serious stuff. Yeah, going to talk about Australia. That's I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm kind of a I, I'm the chick that will talk about anything as long as it's That's not fair. as long as it's not sort of just sitting on the surface and it's about kind of you know oh, no. super superficial is kind of cool but I, I like the things that go that little bit deeper so I'll talk about anything. Really. No, we're gonna we're gonna get deep here. Um, okay. I just like you know I'm having just such a good time doing this podcast. I hope that comes through to people when they listen to it like i get on with people i barely know and we just have a good time we just kind of chat we laugh a lot of laughter laughter is so important i think in life a totally perfect medication really is the ability to be able to laugh laugh and yeah just relax in life even when things might be you know not coming together if you can get to the point of of being able to smile and laugh at the other end then i think you I think that's a perfect cure really well, you just did a perfect setup for moving to the <laughs> next part, which is about your incredibly amazing story 
of overcoming some pretty uh, dire situations from what I remember. Um, some difficult times. I could be hacking this up completely. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, you know, totally. And um, I, would, I, I would love for you to talk about it. You know? Yeah, I guess I definitely have come to a place now where I really understand that there are lots of people out there that have uh, unfortunate circumstances. And without diminishing what I've been through, it, it is this relatability that we all, we all will probably face challenges at varying degrees uh, you know, throughout our life and, and it's not so much what happens to us but, you know, what we really do with that uh, on the flip side and what we can create. So uh, my journey really started in 2003. So I was married in 2002 to an Aussie farmer. My life was perfect. That's all I ever wanted to do was get married and have children. And our first child was diagnosed at two days old with neuroblastoma, which is a malignant he had a malignant tumour in his abdomen that we weren't aware of. So he basically uh, was hospitalised for the first three weeks while they regulated his blood pressure and sort of got things stable enough to work out an action plan. And that action plan was for him to start chemotherapy at eight weeks old. And he continued to have chemotherapy until he was 10 months so that the tumour had uh, shrunk significantly for them to be able to operate with the greatest success. So he, le he, he did lose his left kidney, but I'm told that that's the better of the two to lose. So, mm. you know, winning there. Uh, went into remission and life just got on. We just got on with it and obviously just waiting for the five-year mark where they say he's cured. And we had another baby in January 2006, just as you do. And the normal trials and tribulations of sleepless babies and bed hopping and, and trying to manage, you know, parenting with two children. And in September 2006, my husband would be killed in a car accident. So I was then left widowed with a three-year-old and an eight-month-old baby and still waiting for my son to be cured, so to speak. So uh, by the age of 27, I was married with two children and already widowed and been through cancer. So it was definitely probably not what I anticipated a new bride and mother would would go through but it is what I went through and and it really you know 13 and six, well 16 years later because our son is 16 and he's healthy and vibrant and quite a funny lad so you know 16 years later I can I can look back on that and and recognize that really those things as unfortunate they as they were and as difficult as they were really are what brought me to this point today which is a place that it's so important for me to be able to spread hope and and normalize people's pain I think in terms of it can feel very yeah. lonely yeah it can feel very lonely and very disconcerting and you feel like you're the only one and it's just you know it doesn't have to be it really doesn't have to be death or you know big big things like that on that scale even even just I think we hit crossroads often in our life different different things I think a lot of mums probably hit a crossroads when they become mums because who am I what do I do now how do I re-identify there's the divorce rate is is through the roof and people re-identifying re when a marriage or a relationship hits a crossroads and now they don't know who they are and, and, the, and the strain and pressure of that or different workplace scenarios like there's lots of different pressures and pain points that people will endure and it's just that when there's dark, there's light. 
you know, we go through the shadows, we go through the trials, but we can choose to come out the other side and, and go in search of the light and use it in a way that, you know, I guess for me, I, I never wanted my husband's death to be in vain. If even one person could feel better about their day because I'm willing to talk about it and because I'm willing to sit with them, then it hasn't been for nothing. How? Tell me about your your husband who who passed away. What was he like? Very, very different to me, and very different to me now. So, he was your typical Aussie Skippy, like typical. He was a yeah. He was a <laughs> Skippy. So just you know, just a country guy. He was just he he was very. He was a man of the land, so he worked hard and he played hard and he, you know, it was cricket in the summer. We were in a small town, so the men played cricket in the summer and they played AFL football in the winter and, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he just loved, loved the land. He was very loyal. He was very family orientated. He had very simple needs, like he didn't need, his identity wasn't sort of in all of the, all of the things we can accumulate. He wasn't into needing a mansion or, or a, a fast car or anything like that. He was just, he just liked to sit with his mates and have a quiet beer and a laugh and, you know, sling a bit of, sling a bit of shit, hang a bit of, you know, he was just a very, <laughs> just, yeah, very just loyal. He was so loyal. I just knew that uh, he, he would, literally give up his life for myself and the kids like that was what he did in in terms of the journey with our son because all he wanted was to have children as well so it was kind of like our dream came true when we met and and started a family and while I was the emotional woman who would cry before we had to go back to the hospital for him to start treatment because of how sick he would become he would be the rock he would be we just have to get this done we do this, he gets better, and when he's home forever, we'll be glad that we did this. You know, we just got to get – his saying was, why worry about what you can't change? And and, and that yeah. was his mantra. Wow. And I'm not sure I realised how important that was going to be for me to truly understand and embody that one quote until after he was gone. But that was – even in, you know, relationship difficulties, you know, you can have, like, family or friends that irritate you and you get into the drama of it. And, and he just he, – he would just say, why worry about what you can't change? Very wise words, honestly. Mm. Now, do you ever talk to people about um, – maybe you don't. I don't want to tread on something that you're uncomfortable speaking about. But do you ever talk about the day that it happened, that he passed away? Uh, I have done with, with, yeah, with people that I'm close with, I guess there's, uh, you know, the lead up of, of finding out, I guess, uh, because it was, yeah, it was my dad who actually told me because I wasn't at our house. So I'd, I lived on the farm, we lived on the farm with my in-laws. So I wasn't at my house because our mm-hmm. power was off. So I was at my in-laws, which is right in the middle of the farm. And I had my two children and I had my sister's two children. So the police didn't know really how to find me and yeah my husband was actually on the way to our neighbor's son's funeral when this occurred so so you can imagine a, a a community of you know maybe you know like a small community, very small community at the town that we that was close by was only 4,000 people. So everybody knew everybody. So 
the news actually spread like wildfire through that. Mm-hmm. So my family, our families actually found out before it was before it was an, sort of announced or before the police had time to actually come and, yeah, tell me. Um, yeah. How did you work through that? Um, from the news all the way to where you're at now. Obviously, you're remarried now, right? From yeah, I am remarried. But how did you initially start working through that? How did I initially? I think I think the initial uh, eye of the storm is very much just automatic pilot. Like we, it's just a survival mechanism. I don't think, I don't think there's a great deal of conscious choice that goes into recovery or or grief in, in the initial stages. It, it is literally your body just takes over. Um, so, you know, I didn't eat for until the funeral. I made a pact with myself that I wouldn't eat until after the funeral just because it gave me something to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, food's always been a bit of a vice for me like that. But, you know, really it was just doing the best job of putting one foot in front of the other, but it was it, I never knew what that one foot was meant to be. So after a period of time, uh, and I don't really know how I got there, like amazing support, like amazing support. My my in-law family have are well rehearsed in dealing with uh, trauma and, and dealing with unforeseen circumstances. So I literally had my training wheels on and just lent on them quite a lot. Um, and I stayed on the farm for two years, but I returned to, like I went to university, I used a lot of distraction. I can I can sort of look back now and recognise that really uh, a lot of the things that I did to get from point A to point B, now my point A to point B is literally from absolutely not having any clue how I was ever going to survive this to point B of accepting primarily my husband's quote, you can't worry about what you can't change. So still feeling the pain, still still wishing that he was here and wanting things to be different, but being able to recognise that it didn't matter how much wishing, praying, bargaining, anger or anything that I, that I embodied, nothing was going to change the eventual thing and that is that he wasn't ever coming home. And so there was also that aspect of having two little children, which I found incredibly difficult in that, some people probably go right into just sort of cocooning themselves and it's all about the children. I, I felt very overwhelmed with the responsibility, like exceptionally overwhelmed. My husband was the the literal logical, if he said this is what we should do, then I followed his lead because I was the flaky emotional kind of, right. you know. You know, so I he was just my rock and he was just, I came from a family that I would say were very drama-ish, a bit, you know, we worry about everything, whereas he was a very grounded, rock-solid man. So I lent on his stability and then it was gone. And so, but it did, I did come to a day where I decided that uh, really my children could have no dad and a basket case mum mm-hmm. or no dad and a woman that got on with it and put practical steps in place to support her family. So I went to uni, became a teacher, sort of set up for our future in those ways, made the decision two years later that living on the farm was actually not uh, the place that I needed to be to regain my uh, control over life. I felt very overwhelmed being out there. There was a lot of travelling and uni and things. So it just made proactive steps about what I saw 
for my future, even though it looked very different to what my past and what my intended future had been. So, and medication, I ended up with depression. So medication for 12 months just to stabilize because the choices that I needed to make were probably what uh, really ramped up my uh, emotional instability because for me, the weight of making decisions that felt right for me, I knew had an adverse effect for other people. And it was that that really, uh, and there was no pressure, there was nothing that came from anybody. It was just the pressure I put on myself to try to do everything right by everybody. And yet I was slowly suffocating in, in a world that didn't feel right anymore. So how long, how many years passed before? I mean, I don't know if this is the right question, but like, when did you start feeling like I'm coming out of this a little bit? I'm starting to, you know, gain my stride. I feel like not moving on, but like, hey, this happened. I could start kind of a a different life and, but still remember him in a, in a way that will honor this person. Yeah. I I can, with, out of shadow of a doubt, say the two-year two mark was an extremely mm-hmm. defining moment for me. And the, and the reason it was defining is because that is absolutely the lowest point that I got to in terms of that I had had this inner feeling. And for me, this is what I feel mental health, a lot of mental health can stems from is that I'd known for a long time that there was a different path for me, that I knew that I wasn't going to stay out on the farm and be a farmer because I wanted to marry a farmer. I didn't want to be a farmer. I wanted to marry a farmer. Right. So, so that that internal turmoil of knowing that my path, I could feel it was different, but wanting to stay loyal to, to what I felt like I should be doing. And it got to the point of breaking point at two years where I absolutely just felt like I don't didn't necessarily, and I talk, I do talk about this a lot. I didn't necessarily want to die. I don't feel like I was suicidal, but I absolutely had no clue how to live the life I was in because the pain was just so, and the turmoil and the and, and the literal mind juggle was just excruciating from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to sleep. Regardless of what people saw on the outside and how much it looked like I had it together and how much it looked like I was getting on with the job, internally I had not one piece of the puzzle really that felt like this is right and I'm okay. So at that mark, that's when I went to the doctor uh, and was diagnosed with a form of depression, started medication, and that literally cleared my fog. So that literally allowed that washing machine of thoughts in my mind to just settle so that I could make distinct and confident decisions for my path forward. And that's where I literally went, I have to, I have to move into town. Um, I need to do these things. This is what I need to do. I understand that maybe people won't agree, but this is what I need to do because I, I literally felt like I was fighting for my survival at that point. And that was, that's what changed everything. Once I made that first initial step of saying, okay, I have to re-identify and I am no longer who I was and I need to keep honouring who I am while honouring who my husband was and what he would have wanted for us as well. So It seems interesting of like, I think about the dynamic between the parents who have lost a son, the wife who's lost a husband, the children who've lost a father, 
how does that dynamic continue to play on like throughout the years? You know, like obviously I would imagine, I mean, I don't know, you're still connected to um, your past way husband's family because those are their grandchildren in a sense. How does that dynamic work? How does that work for you guys? So basically we have three families. So because right. I'm remarried, yeah. So while we lived there, we, we've obviously just uh, really changed the structure up in the last two years because we left and we travelled and we've now relocated. But um, I'm exceptionally fortunate in the fact that, as I said, my in-law family have been through uh, quite a bit of um, their own trauma. So they've, you know, they've been in in circumstances where there's similar things with death and having to you know re-identify and, and make their own choices about moving forward right. so um so the understanding of them uh so the three the three main players so my my in-laws in particular really yeah. myself and then my second husband and it, it's the combination of the three that are willing to actually move through life and move forward with the understanding of this is what it is for me while this is what it is for you. So if I had a second husband that came in that literally just went, you know what, that's your past, right? you know, draw a line in the sand, you know, whereas my second husband, like I, you know, I just, it, it would not be what it is without his, his presence and patience and ability to honour that he came to into a situation where there was where there was somebody else really in the relationship. So, you know, it's him being so gracious in his ability to allow us to still have what we have. It's my in-laws' ability to be gracious enough to know that another man was coming into their grandchildren's life, but to hopefully trust that, you know, I was of I I was of, you know, the personality and and the values and and all of that that I wouldn't choose someone that that tried to, you know, enforce authority on these children or take them down a path that wasn't meant for them, that it, it's all that trust, isn't it, that trust in each other, that we all want what is best and at the end of the day what we all want is what's best for my husband's children. Yeah. So. When did you feel like it was okay for you to explore another long-term relationship? Um. Distraction was definitely one of my key uh, survival mechanisms. So while I was a part of a women's uh, grief forum and people drank a lot or they did this or they did that to cope, definitely a relationship was, was one of my coping mechanisms. So I actually had a relationship before I met my husband and that was around 12 months mm -hmm. uh, after. So... Um, when did I think it was okay? I probably still at that stage didn't think it was okay, but mm. I knew that I was going crazy and that that felt like that would would stabilize my, you know, my pain. And it was just, it was a distraction really. And yeah, um, yeah. So you know, everybody's timeline's different. I know that there are people that never, never re reconnect, and that's okay. But for me, it was probably yeah, early, early on in the piece, really. I mean, it's all very, I think it's just, this is good stuff to hear for someone. That's the beauty yeah. of all this is that your story is unique to you and somebody else has another story that's unique to them that is equally or even more of a difficult time, you know, and 
But it's like you said earlier, like people, people like to think they're alone in the situation. And the key, key phrase was normalize pain. Why, why haven't we normalized pain? What, what is it about us that, at least in the past, I feel like that's coming, that's becoming a better thing. People are willing to talk about their pain and that, hey, this happened to me. What's changed, you think? I think the degree of pain. <laughs> I think that in, in terms of the amount of people, like we're beginning to realize that actually there are quite a lot of people that are walking around with internal turmoil that they don't actually know what to do with. And one of the best things that we can do is actually is actually share so that we can see the familiarities between ourselves, that we aren't actually separate entities all having this, while well, we are having an individualized experience, there's still that connectedness between us yeah. as, you know, a, a, a global, you know, entity of the human race. And the, the the best thing that I actually ever did, like in terms of when you said, like, what did you do to get through that time? The best thing I ever did was to, and this is 16 years ago, so I don't even think I was on Facebook at this time, you know, it wasn't, social media wasn't what it is now, but yeah. I knew I had to be able to talk to people that, had some idea of what I was going through and that couldn't be my in-laws because for me to openly talk about the things like I did talk but I didn't want to keep opening the wound for them I you know as much as I lent on them there was still this element of I can't talk to them about everything that's going on though because they've got their own stuff and it's not fair so it's called ever after widowed and it was uh two women that were a very similar timeline and it was for mums with young children who had become widows primarily and they started this internet group forum and it was in the very infancy of its existence and that was by far the most normal place that I felt because when you think of losing a loved one, say a partner, a husband or a wife, and you can think of, oh, wow, the, the pressures of, of raising the children and, and but there's all the the inner stuff like I had to re go and get life insurance for, for myself and then and, yeah. and I didn't even know how to make that decision like how do I know how much I should be you know and I know they give you advice but just all of these things that you literally don't recognize in in terms of his his phone and and Telstra like our our phone company and and wanting to shut that off so I wasn't paying the bill but they have to speak to the owner of the phone right Okay, and you have to go in and you have to cancel cards and stuff and you have to take the death certificate in and and there's the, the clothes are, st are still sitting in the cupboard and when's right and when's wrong? Do I never get rid of them? Do I get rid of them now? When do I stop wearing my wedding ring? Does that mean that I don't think I'm married anymore? Or There's so many elements that literally you cannot fathom that come up that you feel kind of crazy saying to someone, what does it mean if I take my wedding ring off? It's been two years. Do I take it off now? Do I put it on the other hand? Do I wear it on a necklace? Do I get it melted down for my kid? Like, and that place gave me a sense of feeling normal. Right. Right. Gosh, that was, I mean, that was very powerful. All those things. I, would, I just think about like people who are actually like, somebody's going to hear this and go, that's me. That's happened to me. And they're gonna it's gonna normalize it for them in a sense. They're gonna be like, Man, this is I thought I was by myself on these feelings, you know. And I think that's I had a monk on actually, and 
a great, great episode where this guy was a monk for 12 years. And he talked a lot about that. He thought that suffering was a, just an integral, integral part of our existence. He said, it's, it's, I think it's just part of our existence. It's actually meant to do it. absolutely have to and 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 this is the thing for me that, that this journey that I've been on because obviously I went down quite a spiritual journey after my husband passed away and and this is the thing about pain is that we are afraid of it we are afraid of it and yet we don't really we're beginning to understand how important it is we're beginning to understand that it is such a vital part of life for us to experience because it's the yin and the yang and I know yeah. I absolutely know without a shadow of a doubt that if I hadn't been through what I'd been through, one, uh, I wouldn't have the gratitude in my heart for, um, and as my children are becoming teenagers and getting older, it's getting yeah. easy because the overwhelm of, of them being little and demanding and all that is, is starting to shift. But right. to, to just look at these humans and see their minds and, and their worldviews and, and who they are and how they tick. Like I think I would maybe just not recognise that as much. I would not appreciate that as much. And I absolutely know that I would not have the degree of love and the depth of appreciation for my second husband because he is a very graceful, um, he's also very loyal, but he, I'm the, you know, I'm the out one, he's the in one sort of thing. I you see. know what I mean? He, he's introverted, I'm extroverted. So I know that I probably would have chewed him up and spat him out. I would have I would have just overpowered. I wouldn't have recognised how graceful he is in our relationship. And it's that. It's that when you hit rock bottom, when you go through absolutely just the hardest of yards, it everything becomes heightened everything becomes heightened your level of awareness your level of gratitude your level of acceptance and it just it changes who we are if we if we get to that place of not resisting this this fear or this feeling of it it not being necessary but pain is crucial for our expansion and our growth it just is it's an interesting it's interesting you've come to that that mindset about it. Cause you know, a lot of we, as humans, we try to avoid pain mm. at all costs. We're like, I don't want to do things that make me uncomfortable or face talking about difficult things in our lives. And it sounds like you've embraced it and said, no, this is because of this. I've had a maybe on somewhat of a richer experience on, on other aspects of your life. And, and probably, and I, ca I can't name the time that this happened, but there was definitely a, a distinct time where, so there was a distinct time where I had I had like a download or a voice or something say to me, your happiness is your responsibility. And so I'd been living my life in particular thinking that the external world had to change. There was these things on the external world that needed to happen for me to be able to get through this and and become, you know, happy or content or healed or whatever it was. But I was waiting. I was sitting and waiting. 
and that moment happened and I realised it regardless of what experiences in life we have, it is absolutely our responsibility to get to the point of saying in this moment I am going to make the choices of what makes me happy and step towards those. I'm not waiting for these things to line up. I'm happy now and if I want more happiness, what things can I add in? So it, it was really that, that was the defining moment. But then further down the track, I realized that I, I, was, I was really grateful for who I was becoming. And I was really grateful for the things that had then landed in my life because of that change of perception, that it was my responsibility and that I wouldn't have become a teacher and I wouldn't be the mum and I wouldn't be the wife and I wouldn't be the friend and I wouldn't be all of these things if I literally hadn't been cracked open from the core and made sick in years of, of shit really because it was, it was horrific. Yeah. It was absolutely, it really was. But it's not, that. I guess that's where I'm coming at. It's, it's, it's not what happened to me. Like that is a part of the story, it's, but it's not the story. The story in the journey is what we choose to do from what happens to us who we choose to become, the path that we take. You know, do we sit there and blame, blame, blame? I mean, there was a person that didn't give way. My husband would still be here if different choices were made. There's no point blaming that man, that it's a mistake. They happen Mm. and unfortunately some are big mistakes and some are not so big mistakes, but there was no point. I never felt any point sitting there with anger in my heart for him because it didn't change the outcome. Yeah, And I guess it's that, it's that ability to be able to look and take the lessons. And when you can find gratitude in your heart for the, for the understandings and the lessons and the, and the expanse of awareness that trauma or pain can, can offer you, then you're well on your road to kind of recovery in my point, in like in my perception. Sounds like your, your late husband what he left you was that amazing, you know, you can't worry about what you can't change, you know, like that seems to be echoing out throughout your whole journey as a human being. Like, Hey, I just can't worry about these things. You know, I have to just, I, if I can't change it, I just have to make peace with it. You know? Absolutely. And you know, that's like, I don't want to minimize the the journey of that point though. Like I don't think we necessarily, you know, I was never going to wake up the day after the funeral and go, well, I can't worry about what I can't change because, you know, trauma and pain, it's, it's, it's something that actually needs to be embodied and, and, and worked through. And so it, it takes, it takes time and it, but but it's that presence of mind of recognizing that there there is a timeline and there will come a point that you will have to choose you will have to choose whether this is the end of the road for you and that there is no coming back from what has happened or you can you can use that to then you know step forward and and begin to you know walk a different path but timelines are different and I get that. Like if someone had have said to me, you can't worry about what you can't change in the early stages, like I just would have, I would have probably yeah. vomited in their lap, you know, yeah, right. and, you know, and there's trauma and there's, and there's grief and there's, and it's all relevant. 
But I'm 16 years down the track from when my son was diagnosed and I'm 13 and a half years down the track from when my husband passed away. So, you know, this is this is just the outcome of someone that's had time to actually be able to decide that the, the path and and how to resurrect from from those things. How do your children um, remember their dad? You know, in the sense, like, what are the things you do to keep him alive in their mind? You know. So we we've always spoken about my husband. So he's there's always stories about who he was and what he got up to and 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 yeah. how he how he viewed the world. Uh, so always conversations. Our obviously our youngest son has no memory at all because he was only eight months. Um, but yeah, it's reinforcing it's reinforcing those those little stories and those little glimpses of of things that he did and who he was. And also, my sons very much have a similar outlook on life. So nature nurture. So even though they've lived with me, who is sort of like, well, you know, we we don't have to think that way or think that way because that's what the rest of the world thinks. They are very they have very strong opinions and views on politics and things like that that mm-hmm. aren't are probably not mine, but I think they would definitely have been my husband's. So there's that naturally they just have characteristics and um, mannerisms like him. So there's, you know, photos where our second son looks so much like him and it's reinforcing that. Like you you play cricket like your dad or, you know, when you kick the football, that, oh, my gosh, you look so much like your dad. Or when we're on the farm and he did this and when he was younger he did that. And it's just the ability to to be open. There's nothing to be afraid of in terms of remembering and keeping these people alive. You know, I had in our other house, I had a wall full of family photos and, and those family photos consist of all of what makes our family our family. I had my first wedding photo. I had my second wedding photo. I had photos with the boys with their dad. I have photos of the boys with their stepdad. Like it's mm-hmm. our family is what it is right now and it will never change from that. So Sounds beautiful, honestly. It sounds really amazing. Who who are you today? Like, you know, you're talking about the person you've become. How would you describe yourself right now? Uh, that's a, such an interesting question, isn't it? I I think I'm someone that always is is looking in underneath the surface. I want to know. I want to know what goes on for people in underneath and I guess it's because of my journey I really had to dig into the depths of my soul to to really begin to work out who I was and how I would re-identify in in moving forward so um, I guess I'm someone that really wants people to be able to see all of them all of themselves whether Mm. they're going through pain or whether they're they don't feel like they're successful or, you know, whatever goes on for them that keeps them awake at night. I, I really am someone that wants to normalise that and help people to see that, you know, you can always step towards what you want when you know what you don't want, I guess. And you only know who you are when you know who you're not. Mm. So there's lots of things sort of in society, I guess, and it's a bit away from the, the grief and trauma, but you know, there is the propensity in society to, to, to be and to conform to who we believe we're meant to be. And so without that digging in and going, well, who do I think I am and, and what am I about, then there is the propensity to just become who other people say that we are. 
And so that's yeah. where that comes from, you know. And and I guess that that came from knowing that because of my experiences, I was very, you know, I'm not sure that if my first husband, you know, descended from heaven, that he would have one clue who this Andrea is because mm. I'm very, I'm starkly different really to, to who I was. And so it's that we're allowed to grow. We're allowed to change. Yeah. We're allowed to become something we never thought that we would. And, and that all of that is, is a valuable and rich filled life really. What's the big, biggest difference in who you are now versus who you were then? My ability to to understand uh, my my thoughts and my who I am and what I'm about. I was on automatic pilot before that. I I was scared of the dark and didn't realize that was a choice. And I'm not kidding. Like I had no clue that I that there was that we could choose our thoughts. I just ran on automatic pilot and so got very worked up and overwhelmed by things. Whereas now I'm like, okay, what what's happening and and what am I making it mean and how do I you know, and just that that strength of character maybe that I probably didn't have then and, and the confidence to to accept all of me. I've got some really great attributes and I've got some really dodgy ones, but that that's all that's that's me. So take me as I am, whereas prior it would have always been about, you know, what do they think and how should I do this and all of that sort of, you know, so much energy, so much wasted energy in that. Yeah. Wow. So are you getting out there telling your story a lot more to people or is that kind of your one of your reasons for joining the uh, Spider Guest site and uh, connecting with people and podcasts and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was a gift from um, someone that I have just met. So she told me about Spider Guest because, yes, this is my journey forward. So I after teaching, I've gone on to do coaching. So it's life coaching, but I call myself a courage coach to help people have find the courage to make the changes they need. So, and I do, I do talks as well. So just about, you know, my story and I get that we all have a story, but like I said, it's all, it's, it's more so about how can you take what happens to you and, and allow it to kind of bring something good or, or something different or things like that. So, yeah. So I obviously love, love a chat, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but a chat, you know, or a talk where you can actually see into the hearts of your audience through their eyes and know that they see themselves in me and they see their own struggles through mine and they see the hope that, you know, that I'm trying, that I deliver through through talking, that, that there is always hope uh, in in any situation. I think that's a key message. I mean, sometimes it can feel like there isn't hope in a situation. You know, it can get yeah. really messy. So that message I think is probably a timely one, especially in today's culture where I just had uh, someone on right before you and, you know, her whole message is talking to uh, suicidal teens and suicidal contagion and all that and the lack of hope that teenagers are having. So kind of interesting that this feels very similar in that sense, mm -hmm. you know, that I've I feel like more and more people are willing to have these discussions nowadays yeah. because people are just like fed up of the whole keep it inside thing that a lot of previous generations were very staunchly big into. We don't talk about our feelings, 
keep it inside. And then it was also very gender specific, specific men don't talk about their feelings. And I feel like we're breaking, we're breaking through that. Are you feeling that in the people you're talking yeah. to? Yeah, definitely. And, and that it's so needed. And I think that for me, I spent many years uh, feeling like the amount that I talk was wrong. So I like I just love people and I love conversation and, and I made myself wrong for that for a very long time. What do you I mean like the amount that you talk? like? Oh, that I'm just like now, just running, you know, like just, <laughs> I talk so much, you know, I just, I just, I really do in, in friendships and, and in different circles. I just, I, I talk a lot. And so there would be the running joke about how much you talk and I'd run late because I'd talk too much and this and that. And it was a real negative connotation mm. and that I should actually work on ways to actually stop talking. And then I realised as I stepped into this, as I re when I started to wake up and think, how can I use this to support other people though? Because I feel like I've got some very valuable resources or tools or tips or inspirations and I realized that this was actually my gift that I'd been given that the uh, I didn't realize that there were people that couldn't put words to their emotions that they they couldn't verbalize that and that they were literally walking around thinking that they were broken hmm. and that my 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 words actually breathed air into what they were feeling and that this was a gift that I needed to be able to share and I started with writing. I started writing and that was really therapeutic. And now I'm obviously stepping into more of a you know, real life person speaking kind of mm -hmm. thing. And, and people need it. People need the safety of it being okay to feel what you feel. It's okay to feel what we feel. When what you feel gets to a point that it's dysfunctional, when you gets to a point that you don't have the tools or resources to to be able to feel different or better or or calmer then that's when you need to be able to have tools and things to be able to manage but what we feel and I've, I've said this quite a few times in terms of when something good happens when you're happy or excited or or if there's been some success or you know those emotions does anyone try to rush their way through that is right. anyone looking for a way to get out of happiness or joy or contentment or excitement and fix that? Absolutely not. People would think you had lost your mind if you said, oh, try to get back to being miserable. We don't do that. But when we're on the bottom end of the scale, and they're all just emotions, they're just emotions, they're just things we feel. But when we're down on the other end and we're miserable or unhappy or sad or confused or worried, we want to rush through that like there's no tomorrow. True. Both have exceptionally valuable things to teach us and it's really important that we learn how to sit with both. Wow. So powerful. You, you would think you've talked about this before, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am a newbie, I have to say. I am a newbie, definitely. So, so I knew this was going to be good. I, when I talked to you before... And obviously, you know, reading about your story when you wrote up about it, I said, yeah, I mean, you know, that honestly, there are a lot of people who put up that, you know, I see these podcasts, they say, I want people who have adversity, they've overcome all these challenges, BMI podcasts. I think it's almost deeper than that, though. It's like, how can the person relay that message of, be, of the adversity 
and have they over actually overcome it? Because sometimes people who come on and talk about that stuff, and they haven't, they have not overcome that. They are, it, it's their, their healing through that process of telling you like super hard. They're, they're deeply in it. And there's a place for that. And I love that. Also, when somebody comes on and they're still hurting because this is how they're working through it. Yeah. And for you, what's really impressive for you, I think, it, like you said, it's all feelings is, You've had a lot of time on yeah. this. You've had a lot of time. So I think your story is valuable, especially because there are people who are maybe freshly going through what you went through all those years ago, and you're a symbol of what you can become. Yeah. When you have t taken the time, you've sat in it, you've let yourself feel the lowest feelings and the highest highs of recovering. So... What a blessing that you are doing this and that you're telling your story. What a wonderful thing to do. Thank you. I guess, um, yeah, for me, that's, that, that's the ultimate thing is that it, it can help change lives or it can help normalize people's pain. Like I keep yeah. coming back to that because I felt so, I felt like an alien. I felt like, I literally felt so lonely and you can have a million people around you and still feel mm -hmm. lonely. And it's that, I guess that yes, there's the hope and yes, we can choose and yes, we can turn any adversity into uh, you know, a, a an amazing outcome. But essentially for the people that are listening right now that are in the eye of the storm, whether that be trauma or grief or even mental health, because I've been there a couple of times too, in the eye of the storm where you feel like is there is this ever going to come to an end, that it's okay, that it's okay to be there. There's nothing wrong with being there. It's just allowing yourself to find the tips or tools or strategies or mechanisms that, that maybe make tomorrow a little less um, overwhelming, a little less scary, a little less is this as good as it gets, that, you know, allow yourself the grace to to know that there can be better days on their way, but there's nothing wrong with where you're at right now. Totally true. It's my wife and I were talking, we often get in very deep conversations about <laughs> things. So we're, I don't know. I just like it. It's part of my whole thing. And we're talking about death and, and there's been some things, you know, deaths happen in the United States. Kobe Bryant died and it was a very mm. big death in the sports world. And my wife loves watching this show called The Midwife. She's very big into it. My daughter is too, super into it. And, you know, a baby dies on there sometimes. And I said, how do you get through it? And I said, you just have to keep living every day until you feel alive again. And I thought that was so powerful. And just, just keep living every day until you feel alive again. And you will feel alive again. You will feel happiness. You will laugh again. You will have joy you will have incredible times and adventures. It's just, it's okay that you're, you're not having that right now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And that was, that. I mean, that's a very common catch cry uh, that was said to me as well that, you know, um, it, it, it just takes time. Like there's this emphasis yeah. on time. And, and, and the thing that I want to come back to with that is that, you know, there is truth in that because obviously I've had a lot of time that, Things do change over time, but the reality is we still have to live 
in that time. So yes, from point A to point B, but you still have to endure the journey from point A to point B. And I used to get a bit irritated by people that go, oh, it's just in time, it won't feel this. And I'm like, yeah, but nobody's erasing the timeline. I still pull <laughs> right. through that. I still got to get up every day. And still feels and like shit today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally still feels like shit today. And that's the thing. It's not always going to feel like shit. But I I see I see you and I and I and I you know I recognize the the heaviness and and the hardship of of living that time yeah yeah yeah, Anytime I, I hear of someone like, you know, you're saying Kobe Bryant, he's obviously big and stuff like that. But anytime I hear of untimely, you know, untimely deaths like that, I just, I can, I can feel it again. I can, I can feel instantly that what the start of that journey for the survivors it, yes. is going to entail. Like, and I don't know, that's another thing that I've always said is that, it doesn't matter how, how closely my experience might be to somebody else's. So another wife that loses a husband with two small children. I actually don't know what their path will be like. I don't. You can never, ever compare. But there's a, an element of, of being able to recognise probably some of the stuff, that the overwhelming, the, the wanting it to be different, the wanting to go back to yesterday, the wanting to how am I going to get through till tomorrow, That that just that envelope of darkness that, that they will be in for a period of time. and. You know, it's kind of that, that you just, I, I just want to sit with people and hold their hand and just breathe that hope into them that, you know, I get it. I get you sort of thing. So how amazing would it be for somebody like yourself, a bunch of people like yourself who were like on this hotline, you know, for people mm. who had just experienced this tremendous loss and you said, I will come sit with you. I will be mm. with you in this moment. I've been there, you know, like what a tremendous service that would be. And if that person allowed you to be there for you like that, you know, I know we think of like, oh, our family members and things and those people should be that. And that's great. But sometimes it, it, you need a different point of view, you need a different, yeah. you know, voice than your family. And I think like that's that. That, like, sort of like I was saying before, you know, it was, that was some of the challenging things was that, you know, the very people that I needed I knew were going through their own things. And so, you know, my parents were also dealing with seeing me suffering and, and looking at yeah. their grandchildren and, and they, they loved their son-in-law and stuff like that and then my in-laws, you know. And while, you know, I had amazing support, there was still an element of keeping some of it locked inside because I just didn't know who I could share it with. And, and the, you know, the really important thing, to recognize too for me is that I've had experiences with this where people that I've sort of known have gone through tragedy and so I I've been with them and it's it's just the recognition of there's literally just being able to hold space just being able to normalize what they're going through right now that there is no right or wrong there is no you should be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that literally when you have your whole world tipped upside down with something like as traumatic as that, whether it be a child or a partner or, you know, just untimely death and whatnot, it, there, is, there, there is no formula. There is no this is the way that you need to do things and this is the way you should be thinking to be able to get yourself through this. There is nothing that anyone really 
can can do but to remind you that whatever you're feeling right now is normal whatever you're feeling right now is right you know some people will feel rage some people will feel depression some people will feel you know if you have a really terrible bloody relationship I guess some people might feel relief and then they'd feel guilty because they feel like you know this there's a world of different things that we can kind of feel and that again coming back to they're just feelings they're just feelings wow I tell you what you know how to you know how to bring this home you know that <laughs> you know how to bring this home Andrea you are an amazing person I I'm sure people have told you this before but you really are I mean you're an inspiration you are a guiding light to other people you are living life in a way where you're saying, hey, listen, let me let me help you. Let me serve other people. I'm all for people serving other people. And whatever, if it's positive, it helps other people. You're doing amazing work. You are doing amazing work. I'm grateful that you came on. I'm so grateful that you, you had me on because it is, yeah, obviously I'm extremely passionate about humans and their their hearts and their souls and their and their journey i'm just i just yeah thank you so much for yes me. of course and if i'm ever in australia i've never been <laughs> uh but i would like to one day i'm in your I'm area sorry. we're gonna ride the bike down to the pub and have a drink i'll <laughs> <laughs> um, i'll take a I'll, I'll take a selfie next time i'm there just for some inspiration i'll send it through to you <laughs> send it to me i would love that that'd be awesome yeah Andrea, thank you so much. You're wonderful. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. It meant a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to the people who listen. Thank you. And thank you for the work you do, because without you, I wouldn't be here to, to share a message. So thank you for everything that you're doing too. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. We will be in touch. No worries. Thank you. All right. Bye. Night. See you, you later. Got it. <laughs> Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Autumn is in the air. Time for back to school, football games, and pumpkin lattes. Fall is also a great time to buy or sell a car online at driveway.com. Welcome to Driveway, where you can feel completely in control of your car buying or selling experience. Our nationwide network with tens of thousands of vehicles is unmatched. And when you buy from Driveway, there's no pressure. We offer our best price up front. That's Driveway, a customer-friendly experience that makes buying or selling your car easy. Driveway. Auto done easy.